Al Cresta. I've been approached this, uh, well, I've been here in Grand Rapids at Act in 2022 by at least a half a dozen men and women who are part, uh, in all building, uh, independent uh, classical Catholic schools. Uh, and it's, it's amazing uh, to hear their enthusiasm and their, uh, their really even their optimism uh, for the future. Join me right now is Sean uh, Malty. Uh, Malty. He is headmaster of Sacred Heart Academy in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. And um, it's great to have you with me. And you took over after Father Sirico. Right? Well, I know uh, Father Sirico hired me okay. in 2014. Okay. So I was his partner in crime. Oh, you were there. You were there for a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Sean, um, talk to us a little bit about the vision that uh, you have at Sacred Heart and how that's transferable. Yeah, so uh, at Sacred Heart, you know, obviously, um, and I think Father Sirico may have even been on the show before talking about the transformation at Sacred Heart. But uh, back in 2012, at Christmas time, he was named the pastor. Um, the school was dying, yeah. not not an unfamiliar story. Uh, and um, Father wasn't the bishop at the time. Bishop Hurley told him he could close the school, that he didn't have to inherit this, this failing institution. And right. they would, you know move the students elsewhere which they had done already and which by the way a lot of priests would have welcomed yeah yeah, yeah. Fa- father actually should, <laughs> when he tells the story he say you know many priests uh, yeah would have welcomed that um but father had never been a pastor of a parish with a school mm-hmm. in fact he was telling the story to the group that we have here at, at au just yesterday that um he uh it's the only parish that he's ever been associated with that had a school, had a school. Yeah. yeah and um uh he thought you know why don't in quite the simplest terms, he said, "Why don't we just make it Catholic?" Uh, and obviously, that comes with lots of lots of loaded meaning. But there were a, 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 some people in the community that um, had some understanding of what you know good Catholic formation looked like, yeah. uh, and particularly, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about classical education or um, uh, a Catholic li- liberal education. But right. but but really, it's a it's a it's a it's a uh, a rediscovery of the treasure of the church. I it mean, is the church brought forward yeah. the the best of of of, of Greek uh, intellectual culture in the sense of um, this is uh, you know how you would form the intellect. Yeah, uh, yep. and, and you know certainly Augustine and Aquinas and you know the church being the founder of the university and this great intellectual tradition that that is our patrimony. Right, and so um, Father certainly understood that. Uh, piece of it, and um, we had a gentleman um, in our uh, in our community already, uh, and I wasn't at the com- in the community at the time. I came about a year later uh, as the headmaster um, that had uh, uh, an understanding of how to do this, and had uh, been a, a you know liberal arts educator, uh, graduate of Hillsdale, oh, okay. had gone yeah. um, out to Colorado, been a part of a charter school and the forming of a high school there, and then. You know, came back to Michigan and settled in Sacred Heart Parish by happenstance. Yeah, and then all by providence. Father, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are no accidents. And and Father says, um, you know, the the story goes is like you, 
uh, the, the interim principal at the time says, you know something about this? Uh, and he was volunteering thinking he could teach a Latin or a literature class. Yeah. And quite frankly, you know, here we are eight years later. We had a school that was at 69 students. Um, now we're, we're, we're knocking at the door 400. We added a full-time high school. That's fast too. That's fast growth. Yeah. yeah. It, and it's been, uh, it's been pretty, uh, pretty amazing journey. Um, so uh, the vision is really just, um, I mean, the vision is heaven and, you know, a lot of schools talk about, you know, career prep, prep, yeah. college prep. Um, I, I, in the simplest terms, I like to say what we're doing is salvation prep. And we <laughs> get that right. Those other things take care of themselves. Yeah. I mean, the, the kids, understand who they are as a child of God and what God has made them for, what their unique gifts and talents are, and um, in this road of discernment and how they then use those to, to build his kingdom and ultimately yeah. achieve their sanctification. Yeah, yeah. How, I, how we ever can, you know, uh, we joke that the only way we could ever truly measure that, uh, you know, in, in some sort of objective way is uh, if the church declares one of our graduates a saint someday. So that <laughs> something short of that, we won't really know whether we're doing a good job yeah, or not until right. we this, actually reach our reward. This is the eschatological <laughs> verification. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which it doesn't really measure well with the way most modern education no. <laughs> uh, measures success. That's so, right. So that is the vision. And then obviously there's a practicality to it. You know, what does that look like in the day to day? And and really it is, you know, putting the true, the good and the beautiful in front of the children, uh, uh, you know, ultimately the true, the good, the beautiful in, in, in God by starting every day with mass. Mm-hmm. And then um, what we do in the classroom flowing from the sacramental life of the church. So yeah. I think any parish with a school could do this. Yeah. Um, and Father believes that, too. Yeah. I, I I did not awaken to um, the idea of a liberal education until I was in early 20s. Uh, I was already in college before I figured out that there was this long tradition. So I don't know what it's like to have a that ob- to want to share that uh, approach to learning with elementary age children. So I don't know where you begin. I'm, yeah. I'm probably good at the high school level, but before that, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And it, it, and it actually probably doesn't look a whole lot different of, of what our own experiences might have been through when we were in elementary school. I mean, okay. I'm a product of public school. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm in my early 50s, so I was, you know, in kindergarten in the mid-70s. But, you know, you, you, uh, I, I do recall, you know, having to memorize lots of things. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, I had to know, you know, all my math facts yep. by, you know, whatever grade that was, uh, multiplication, division, third grade, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, so the, the, there's sort of three modes of instruction. Uh, the, at the high school level, you're probably more familiar with, oh, the Socratic method where mm-hmm. you, you encounter a great work of literature and you have conversation about it yes. in seminar style and things like that. But that mode obviously isn't what you're looking at, you know, for first and second graders. You're looking at, you know, there's a lot of didactic instruction yeah. and then there's a lot of mimetic instruction. Actually, the most powerful tool of teaching is mimesis. Okay. Like, so you learn by, you present example. Yeah. Right. Um, so great. That's why you would read great stories. That's why you read fairy tales. That's why you read um, Aesop's fables. Yes. So th- it's the what a lot of what happened, a lot of the sort of the, at least from the way we're doing it at Sacred Heart. And I, I think this is fairly universally true in those who are doing what 
they may call classical or a liberal education at the elementary school level is the material by which you're doing that that formative process is beautiful yeah so it it's not just any version of of uh grimm's fairy tales or any version of mother goose it's a it's a it's a beautiful version so not only do you have the great story but you've got the great artwork that goes along with it yeah and and you know there's a lot of ugliness in the world that passes for you know school curricula yeah and so really sort of just having this eye towards constantly having in front of the kids the true the good and the beautiful in whatever form that might take and um leading them to imitate that you know so when they're doing art at the lower level you know they're they're using the master works of 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 the world history of art yeah you know and you know uh, and these kids, it's amazing. <laughs> there were some third grade icons this year that were in our hallway, and I didn't even know they were third grade when I was like, "Oh, that must be middle school. Those look pretty good." And when I found out they were third grade, I was just blown away. Wow! Uh, by the, th- it's what the kids are capable of doing. That's right. They're actually capable of imitating, and they might not understand. Like when they're, they might not. You don't have to explain like uh, the version of Aesop's Fables that we use. We don't have the moral in the. Uh, the moral isn't stated at the bottom. At the of bottom the, of the, the page, fable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which many versions have that, That's right? That's right. Um, because the kids actually, they can come to it. The story, on their the own. story can do its own work. It does. Yeah. You let the story yeah. do its work, and, yeah. and the teacher is just leading and guiding and tending and cultivating. And of course, at that level, really one of the really more important things is their for, their their virtue formation. Um, you know, uh, a proper understanding of, of the. The proper virtue formation at the proper age is really important, and you know, for a, for a five or six year old who hasn't reached the age of reason yet, um, learning how to be obedient is is like the the the, the most important thing yeah. because once they actually have the the strength of their reason and 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 their will, right, uh, yeah. they can choose not to be obedient, yeah. and many do because it's not an easy thing. Right. But if you develop the habit of obedience. Um, right. And then it becomes. I mean, that's the the, the beauty of virtue is it, it. The the thing becomes easy. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and it, you don't even think about it after a while. You, you really know? don't. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's. Oh, why do I have these great habits? Oh, yeah, that's just the way it's always been. <laughs> and, and but it, but there's there has to be an intentionality there. Yeah. And I think that's something that's missing. Um, you know, I much uh, much ink has been spilled about the the, the parenting crisis that we have. Well, um, actually, that's where I was going to go. Yeah. My guess is that you have parents who themselves are aware that they're the primary educators. They have the responsibility yep. as the primary educators of their, their students. doesn't mean they, they have to sit do a homeschool situation, but it means that they know that it's their job yeah. to ensure that their children are properly educated. Um people working in the public schools often say they're they don't have that they don't have that advantage that a lot of the parents they where i where i lived in detroit for for 10 years um i i, I don't mean to exaggerate but this is true the school that was in my neighborhood where i lived re- looked like it could have been transplanted from haiti i mean it was in terrible shape and you know, in my again in the neighborhood in which Sally and I were raising our kids for ten years, uh, we were one of I think three intact families in a two-block area. So the teachers there are working. Are, you know, 
they don't they don't have the buy-in from the parents, mm-hmm. probably the way that you do. Yeah. So what do you what do you say to people who say, well, that sounds ideal, but what do we do? You can't do everything. I right. know you can't solve everybody's problem. I'm just curious how you think about that. No, I, I think that's really, and you know, um, coming from a broken family myself, I, these are problems that I do think about, and we are blessed to have intact families, but we have we have families that aren't. Yeah. Um, you know, like the the the, the scourge of the broken family uh, isn't. Uh, you know. Uh, it, 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 there may be um, a greater uh, concentration of it in certain zip codes, yes, but it's certainly yes. no zip code is immune to it. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, looks like yeah. Uh, music coming up. Let's see. We got more time. Okay. Can you stay with me longer? Okay. We're going to continue talking about um, again uh, classical uh, education and, in particular, uh, Catholic classical education. And they're looking at the work of Sacred Heart Academy here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and how uh, this is becoming a, a shining light for schools around the country. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Sean Maltby, headmaster of Sacred Heart Academy in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're taking a look at the remarkable work they're doing there um, and Father Robert Sirico, uh, when he was assigned to this parish, Sacred Heart in Grand Rapids, uh, had a school that was on the verge of collapse. Uh, it is now thriving, uh, moving from 69 uh, students in what's it, 2014 yep. to uh, nearly 400 uh, today. And uh, Sean's been doing the work of headmaster there. Tell me how this is spreading around the country, because there's, uh, I, like I said, I had this new coalition of people coming around and visiting me <laughs> this week, yeah. all, all head, heading up new schools like this. Yeah, and, and uh, I saw I saw some of them talking to you, so they're they're here. Um, so one of the things um, that's happened uh, with the success at Sacred Heart. Uh, and, and, and there are other schools around the country that have had similar success in this endeavor. And there, there is a, there's no question that there's a, there's a renaissance uh, happening. And many schools, are in, many schools, communities, parish communities are inspired to want to do something yeah. very similar. Um, and uh, so Father Sirico was approached um, last year uh, as he was nearing retirement from um, his pastorship. Uh, by by a donor who has supported our work over the years, wanting to sit, wanting he, he said, I, "I have a job for you in retirement. <laughs> um, I, I I would like you to to look at how it is that um, we could we could share and inspire others to do what has happened at Sacred Heart." And so, out of that conversation was born um, what we're calling the Saint John Henry Newman Institute, um, and it's a it's a very it's a fledgling um, organization. Uh, Father is the president. I'm the executive director. Uh, and um, one of the first things we decided to do was, well, let's, um, we, we get all kinds of calls all the time from parishes and communities. And so just the, the calls within the last um, uh, year that I, that we've received at Sacred Heart is, is you know, into the uh, communities from Colorado, Florida, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, um, within Michigan itself. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were able to put an invite list together of, of about 30, you know, people 
yeah. uh, to come to Acton University, and we created a what we're calling a Newman track within yes. Acton. So they're getting they're getting the formation of Acton University writ large, but then we have uh, four special sessions um, that these uh, these educators, and we have about seventeen that ended up coming. Um, from all, uh, we've got Michigan represented, we've got Florida represented, we've got Colorado represented. Yeah. Uh, and, and these are just amazing people who are in love with the Lord and, and they want to do beautiful things in their own community and they can. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, if we, I, I trust me, I'm no, I'm not an expert in education. I'm a, I call myself a recovering attorney. Um, <laughs> I was a federal prosecutor before taking on the headmaster job. So if, if, if I can do it, <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. there, there are way more qualified people out there, uh, to, to that do it. And so this the, the the Newman track classes this week have been um, Father did a uh, an introductory talk on just sort of the the, the story of Sacred Heart uh, and the vision, and then um, uh, we had our uh, our dean of faculty and curriculum, who's really the brains behind what we've done. He was the Hillsdale grad I mentioned um, earlier, Zach Good, who uh, talked about pedagogy yeah. um, yesterday, and then this morning we had. Um, uh, retired federal uh, magistrate judge Joseph Scoville uh, and our and our music director Jonathan Bating talk about the importance of reverence in the liturgy yeah. and 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 yeah. how in how music fits into that sacred music fits into that just to sort of like casting the whole thing and then this afternoon I'll be talking about sort of like weaving it all together and what it looks like to to lead something like this yeah. um, and so just sharing some pra- try to share some practical wisdom um, with them but. The idea is that is um, with the institute, like you know, Father's not interested in building another sort of bureaucratic thing that right. helps, uh, you know, like provides and does things for people. He he really visions it as being a situation where we can leverage these experiences and not just Sacred Heart, but other schools um, that have done this work and and network us together and share stories and inspire one another and maybe do some you know some some teacher mentoring and some you know what does it look like to raise money and yeah a, in a yeah like it, when you think uh, this is something that's been on my mind for the last few years like you know a lot of the a lot of the complaints are like well tuition you know you can't make tuition enough to make it sustainable and and um but when you look at the history of the church and the the wonderful things that the church has done i mean you look at the great cathedrals that were yeah. built in in the medieval europe and then you look at a skyline of a city like Grand Rapids and you see where our priorities are, like the things where we can build, like we can we can manage a building a school. And yes. if you just have a committed community that really is committed to one another with fidelity to the Lord. Yes. It can happen. That's right. Really easily, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. And 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 so to me, that's a really beautiful thing, and we're working at it. We're not. I, we haven't arrived by any stretch of the imagination, um, but it's possible. And community is part of this whole thing. It's not just a consumer. It's not just a consumer choice no. that you say we've got. You know, we're we're uh, we've got a commodity here. Better education. You pay us, and then we'll give you this. It, this is this requires more. This requires a community yeah. of people who understand that this is uh this is not just a consumeristic uh transaction yeah and we've talked about that like who do you want um you know when you're thinking about like what does it mean to actually be in community with one another it means you're committed not you know not just with your 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 material 
resources, but you're you're you know you're you're praying for your, the yep. the person in the pew next to you, whether you like them or not, or you are particularly close to them. Like you're really you're and to enter into community to with one another is really hard because it it. Re- requires you giving up of sacrificing something. That's right. And what we have in our modern day is people have so much choice. I mean, you know, I drive by probably six Catholic churches to go to Sacred Heart, yeah. you know, in yeah. but we have we have so much choice that if we don't feel good about being in this community because it's hard and it's challenging and it's asking us to give something of ourselves, then we just go somewhere else. Yeah, boat with our feet. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, that's that's very true. But um you know, I love this more holistic approach that you have because um, involving the parents uh, uh, is so important. And I, I would think that uh, the parents understand that from the start. Is that right? Yeah, we, I, we we started on that parent conversation before the last break. And the reality is, is that, you know, our parents do come to us kind of in, especially with the growth that we've had, um, we, we've got probably a core group of parents who really understand what it is mm-hmm. and who really understand their responsibility as the primary educator of their child. Uh, and they, they, you know, they take that seriously and they've decided to um, grant the school some of that authority to assist them in that, that yeah. role. But some of our parents, you know, the first time they encounter us is the first time they've ever heard that that's actually their job to teach their, their children. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're used to just, you know, you talk about choice. Well, I, that's why I have a school. I drop them off at the school, and and um, and but that's not going to work. No, that's no. not going to work. And so, um, because the reality is, is what we do during those. And while we have them for you know the majority of their waking hours in the school day, what the beautiful work you do in in you know that eight hour school day can be undone in about fifteen minutes of of uh, you know uh, um, uh, what what what, we, what I would call. Uh, undisciplined use of technology, yeah. right? And yeah. what they could get yeah. exposed to. And so these are like, these are things that parents, you know, just haven't either thought about or, you know, haven't taken seriously. And it's not that they don't want to take it seriously. It's just the the whole idea of, of you know, like the parent is going to be the one that guards their ch- children's innocence, that provides an environment where their 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 growth and the formation and wisdom and virtue can flourish, and the school is just assisting in them yeah. with that. And so, we do have a robust um, program of parent formation that we we do mm-hmm. as well. And and because we and we call it what we call it is partners in formation. Yeah. So we're. Yeah. We're you, you, we're not doing the formation for you. We're your partner in, in doing, doing that formation. Yeah. And so we we want to bring them along. And and like I said, we have a core group of parents who really understand that. But but uh, you know, I think the vast majority of our parents want that and would take that seriously. But no one's ever actually explained it to them in that way. Yeah. So it is a it is a challenge. But I think that's the part of the key of it. It I mean, if you think about family, is the basic unit. Yes. Social unit, right? Yes. And, and so, anything that happens outside of family is a, is a, you know an add on. So coming to the parish and coming to the school and being a part of a community is something added on to, yeah. not in replace of. Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's absolutely no doubt that family is the greatest former yeah. of the child. People always worry yeah. about peer influence. Well, peer influence is significant, but it, the family remains. Yeah, it still has more. Uh, constructive, uh, creative uh, control uh, over the formation of uh, the kids. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, you're probably not surprised I could tell you, I can tell you stories of 
you know, where I see the difference. Yeah. And, and, but when you talk about that peer influence, well, if you have a great bunch, if you have families who are really committed to that responsibility, they find each other. And so the peer influences become reinforcing for yeah. one another. We, when we, uh, Sally and I were, again, we were doing, uh, ministry in, in Detroit and, it was it went well for a while, and then but we noticed with each succeeding child we had, the quality of the friendships was declining, and it was after a while we said, you know, we, we might feel like we're called to be missionaries here, but it doesn't mean our kids are. So we took about two. We prayed for about two years, and long, long make a long story short, we uh, moved to Ann Arbor where we had a number of friends and also a very thriving parish. And we knew that um, uh, these parents shared uh, a broadly uh, Catholic worldview and that some of them were homeschooling parents. Others of them uh, were committed to uh, uh, Catholic, independent Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the best decision we ever made because it allowed all of our kids to have corresponding friends their own age who were part of families Again, not perfect, but the point is it, it, there, there were certain assumptions that we all had regarding the nature of morality, the importance of education, uh, that, that, that it was okay to call a parent up and say, I understand, you know, my son's coming over to spend the night there. I'd like to know, you know, what kind of... Uh, what kind of movies you're showing? I mean, what? Yeah. And, and everybody, we never had, we didn't have a fight, 20 years, we didn't have a fight with anybody about it. Everybody just understood. That's what a community of parents are supposed to do yeah. for one another. And I and we were not, we were par- pretty much parish uh, oriented, I would mm-hmm. say. But uh, the school, the same thing can happen with families that uh, yeah. support a school. Well, and I think, the way you think about a school um, actually helps reinforce that because uh, the way we think about the school at Sacred Heart is it's 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 an apostolate of the parish. It just happens to be the largest apostolate, but but everything that we're doing in the school is actually in furtherance of the mission of the parish writ large. Yeah, yeah. Even though we may have some students that aren't parishioners, that's that's okay. That's part of the ministry uh, of of the school. Is it ideal for the school to be associated with the parish? I, you know, I, in my, this is my experience yeah. uh, at Sacred Heart. I, I, um, I think it uh, it serves uh, in a number of ways. Uh, access to the sacraments being the the yeah. critical piece. Yeah. So yeah. our kids go to have the opportunity mass every day and go to confession twice a week, or they have the opportunity to. And it's just right there. Yeah. It's not a logistical problem to go to Mass. You go to Mass and then you walk across the courtyard yeah. to the school building. Well, he says education is a form of disciple-making, which is an extension of the church. So it's great, ideal if you it can have ideal. them together. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, thanks so much. You bet, Al. Thank yeah. you.